Hey, everybody. It is Drags Mike Petralia back with the post-Super Bowl 58 breakdown edition of the Jungle Roar podcast, powered as always by FanDuel Sportsbook, your exclusive online wagering partner of CLNS Media Network. Here with me today, it's been a while to break down uh, Super Bowl 58. It's been a while since he's been on the podcast, that is. Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals. He does a great job breaking down all things Cincinnati Bengals online as well as on the podcast with uh, one of my true friends. That would be James Rapine, of course. Jake and James do a great job of the lo- with the uh, Locked On podcast. All right, let's get right to it. Jake, um, your biggest takeaways from Super Bowl 58, I thought really the best quarterback uh, showed uh, his face late in the game when it mattered most, and that was, of course, MVP Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, well, first, Drags, thanks for the kind words about the Lockdown Bengals podcast. As always, sure. you're very, very kind with your praise. My pleasure. It's appreciated. Biggest takeaways, the margins yeah. of the NFL are incredibly thin. Yep. That's that's one of them. And you're right that in the end, it seemed like the better quarterback prevailed, but it wasn't just Mahomes and the 49ers had so many opportunities in that game. They did. And the whole 49ers beat themselves thing is really easy for me to buy. I wasn't very active on social media during the game and didn't nor really want to watch. Yeah, nor was I. Wasn't very interested in the matchup, but it was a fun game to watch once you kind of got over the teams that were playing in it and the history between those teams and the Cincinnati Bengals. But the first drive, your best player on offense gives the ball up. That is absolutely brutal against the Steve Spagnuolo defense. That's going to get harder to play against as the game goes on. And that kind of played out that way. And Kyle Shanahan found the right buttons to push at times, but giving up at least three points on your scripted drive, which is one of Kyle Shanahan's best drives of the game. And one of the times to take advantage of playing against the Steve Spagnuolo defense. And I said this about the, the Buffalo Kansas city game as well, that, that it was going to get harder. For the offenses after there were a lot of points to start that game, and it did. It ended up being right. a low-scoring game. Um, you know, that that's the way Steve Spagnuolo's defense plays out. Am I you thinking of the right game? Buffalo-Kansas City? Yeah. Yeah, the, okay. You're, you're talking about the divisional round. Yeah. Yes. No, no, I'm thinking of the conference championship. Who does oh, the against the Ravens. The, championship? the Ravens, right. Mike okay. McDonald, yeah, 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 wrong game. Mike McDonald and Steve Spagnuolo's defenses are going to get much harder to play against as the game goes on. And so when that game started with a lot of points, I was like, ah, this is going to get a lot harder. I'd be surprised if we see much scoring until the fourth quarter. And I think that's kind of the way the game went. And so similar idea here with Spagnuolo's defense, where unfortunately the Bengals have to deal with that problem again for the foreseeable future, because nobody seems to give Steve Spagnuolo much head coaching consideration at this point in his career, uh, despite being one of the better playoff DCs in the NFL. But yeah, between that, the punt return turnover, those are killers plays that you can overcome in a vacuum. But when you have both and, and you're talking at least a 10 point swing, at least minimum, that's by far the biggest reason to me. San Francisco loses like Spags found the right blitzes at the right times. And Patrick Mahomes was clutched up in the, in the overtime, but he shouldn't have had those opportunities to clutch up in overtime because so, those two, those two turnovers are just killer. The reason the muff punt was a killer 
was the four the Chiefs had not gotten into the end zone before that muff punt. The the 49ers had done such a good job containing Patrick Mahomes, keeping him out of the end zone. And there was that ridiculous streak of like 19 consecutive drives this playoff postseason that uh, Mahomes had not led a touchdown drive. It was a remarkable statistic, and they kept mentioning it on CBS, Romo, and uh, Jim Nance, and I thought for very good reason. It just seemed like a stunning uh, statistic, but that muff punt really did change the momentum because it gave the Chiefs something they desperately needed, and and it was the feeling of getting back into the end zone. You felt like once the Chiefs got into the end zone, the dam was broken, and now they could go about. I, I thought they relaxed a little bit more on offense. It seemed like things were moving a little bit more freely. Mahomes seemed, after that touchdown, he seemed like a different quarterback because the first two and a half quarters of that game, it felt like Mahomes against Tampa Bay in Super Bowl 55. And, and again, I thought uh, Tony Romo did a good job of pointing this out and Nance as well. In that Super Bowl on Sunday in Vegas, it did feel like Mahomes was getting sped up. And you don't see that very often. You've seen it a couple of times against the Bengals, um, you know, in that 21-22 run where uh, I thought, you know, Lou Anarumo did a great job making adjustments. You saw him get sped up a little bit by the Bengals. You saw him get sped up by Tampa Bay and Brady. And you saw him got uh, get sped up a little bit on Sunday. But that that muff punt changed everything. Yeah, you look at the drives before that. Three and out, four and out, the fumble early in the game, another three and out, and then a field goal to end the first half in two-minute mode for the, for the Chiefs. And right. comes out of halftime, immediately throws a pick in plus territory. And then this is where you can be critical of the San Francisco offense because San Francisco takes over at, what, the 44? Yes. Yeah, the takeover yes. at... at can't in plus territory on the 44 you immediately get a false start uh, on second down after an incomplete pass on first down and and you know 49ers fans are screaming why why or not screaming maybe but not maybe not yet but like why are we going away from the run and the chiefs are loading the box and daring kyle shanahan to throw the ball and largely i thought brock Purdy played really well but um kansas or san francisco punts the ball after taking over in plus territory not getting points there brutal Luckily, their defense stands up, and as the game has been going to this point, another three and out for Kansas City, which, of course, is promptly answered by the San Francisco 49ers going three and out. So you have these opportunities in the second half, early in the second half, when you're leading 10 to three to open it up a little bit. San Francisco doesn't capitalize on plus field position. Kansas City goes and scores a field goal. You get another three and out for San Francisco, whose defense stands up again, but then you have the, the, the muffed punt off the foot. And and then things kind of spiraled from there and things really opened up for both offenses. But it didn't have to get to that point for San Francisco with all the missed opportunities for them in this game as well. A really defensive game, despite the final score being at, at 47 total points, a really strongly game plan defensive game for both coordinators that saw good adjustments from both sides and a whole lot of fumble luck benefit the Kansas City Chiefs, and and that, I think, is is a big reason they end up having an opportunity to push the game to overtime, to have the opportunity to win in overtime. Also, the whole overtime rules thing—that's a that's another. Topic well, I'll, I'll tell you what: 
there were a couple of times during overtime where I got reminded by those I was watching the game with that this is not the same. And I'm like, I knew it wasn't the same, that this was the first real game that we were going to see where uh, with the new overtime rules, first of all, I think it would have behooved the 49ers who won the overtime toss to defer and let Kansas city get the ball first, because you, regardless of what happened, what Kansas city did with the ball, even if they went down and scored, you would have a chance to answer. But if you create a turnover, get a field goal, whatever you win the game right there. It, mm -hmm. there's a lot more to me advantage to deferring in overtime in the playoffs if you win the toss. And I was a little bit surprised with Shanahan, and and certainly he is somebody who can appreciate the analytics of the game. I'm surprised they, they did not defer. How about you? Yeah, I don't think they knew the rules from the sounds of things. They, they didn't understand necessarily how it was all going to work, at least the timing aspect of it. It sounds like there was a lot of confusion over the fact that when the period ends, the game isn't over. Kansas City wasn't Correct. racing the clock. And that's something um, else I had to be reminded of in the room we were in watching the Super Bowl. I had to be reminded that, hey, there's no urgency for Kansas City at the end of overtime. And I think maybe San Francisco thought there was. Yeah, I'm not clear on why there's a clock, except for that. I think they get three timeouts per period. That's the only, that, that was at least what the official said. That's the only reason I can think of for there to be a clock on the over, overtime period at all. There's no two minute warning in the right. overtime period. So what's the point of having a clock? Again, the only thing I can think of is those timeouts. It lets you more liberally use timeouts, but getting three timeouts every 15 minutes also seems like something that the NFL would not give to teams ever like that's not the way the nfl treats timeouts so the whole timing of it Jake. yeah was was very weird in the first place but the information advantage i think is why you would kick the ball if you're andy Reid and you receive the ball where travis kelsey and other chiefs said that they had a plan to go for two that there wasn't going to be a third overtime possession if it was a touchdown for kansas city they're going to go for two and either win or lose the game right there Right. At least that's what they say. Um, if you get the ball first and you score a touchdown, is it better to go for two yourself? Maybe not. But the the that's a question, I think, that probably needs to be considered. It's just in the NFL, coaches tend to try to prolong the game. And if you get six and the other team knows that they just need seven, that's certainly different. But that's the information advantage to going second is, one, you – probably are playing with four downs in a lot of circumstances more often instead as of playing Kansas with city show. Correct. As Kansas city showed in their own territory, there was no doubt they had to go for it because you, you have to there, there's or the game ends. So, right. so I think there yourself, are advantages to deferring. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Giving, giving yourself an extra drive, giving yourself additional information. This is similar to discussions around college football. Do you take the ball first or do you go for it? And, and I think that's a good thing to be fair. I do think it's an improvement on previous iterations of overtime rules, but yeah, knowing the rules information advantage to going second is, is significant. And, and I think that when you settle for a field goal on that first drive of San Francisco trouble, 
yeah, you, I mean, you need to stop, period. You need to get him into a fourth. and Because Andy Reid's probably going for it, I, I would think, on like fourth and less than six in field goal range, maybe less than five if it's a line field goal. He'd rather let Patrick Mahomes try to go for it. And I know the kickers were good in this game outside of the, the blocked uh, extra point. But the information advantage is so significant and, and the ability to to put the quarterback, put, put the ball in the quarterback's hands, who's been a killer in these positions so often against everybody but the Bengals in the playoffs. I just don't know that I'd want to be in that position if I were the 49ers. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Speaking with Jake Lisko of Locked On Bengals, does a tremendous job along with James Rapine, breaking down all things Cincinnati Bengals throughout the season and uh, in the offseason as well. Um, there, we already mentioned the muff punt. The other uh, play that I or a series I want to bring up, and you did refer to this already, was the series uh, right after halftime when uh, Patrick Mahomes throws the pick and the Kansas City defense came up huge. The two moments to me that Kansas City's defense came up absolutely monstrously big is forcing the three and out after Mahomes got picked to start the second half on that first series and forcing the field goal at the end of regulation. Those were absolutely, to me, have to have. If you allow like San Francisco to go down and score there uh, right out, out of halftime, game's totally different. And obviously, we've already talked about the fact that Kansas City was having terrible trouble moving the ball before the muff punt. And at the end of the game, obviously, if San Francisco scores a touchdown, not a field goal, San Francisco wins the game right there. And I just thought those were two uh, monumentally big moments. And the reason I bring this up is Chris Jones. I think the Bengals, when they're looking to rebuild their defense this offseason, they need at least two, maybe three uh, more bodies in the middle of their uh, defensive interior line. And maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe we're just fantasy world. But can you imagine the Bengals defense with Chris Jones in the middle? I mean, that's they had it. They had Geno Atkins. So yeah. easy to imagine because they had a player that is of the same caliber, in my opinion. The the all decade team honor for Geno Atkins potentially being a, a portent to an eventual Hall of Fame nod, although maybe he doesn't have the longevity. In the end, he was certainly a Hall of Fame quality player. 
for a very long time was Geno Atkins, as is Chris Jones. I think that it is high fantasy to yeah. imagine the Bengals playing in the Chris Jones market just because I imagine their cash spend in free agency this year will be around maybe like 50 to $60 million right. on the higher end. And that's cash, not cap. And I think Chris Jones is individually going to make up maybe 60 to 70% of that between yeah. signing bonus and, and guarantees and, and first year, like that guy's going to go make market setting money at a position that has been expanding at the top end significantly in recent years. So yeah, Chris Jones doesn't feel very likely, but you're a thousand percent correct that they need to get better there. They need to entirely remake that room. And DJ Reader's injury makes this much more complicated because sure. if he were healthy, it would probably still be complicated because he's a player going into his age 30 season. And we know how the Bengals feel about free agents and, and players going into third contracts on the wrong side of 30. But that guy is still a, a transformative player yes. for your defense that they sorely need to replace. And they're paying a lot of money on their defensive line. My personal opinion is that for the most part, they are not getting anything close to surplus value out of any of those contracts besides Trey Hendrickson. I think PJ Hill and Sam Hubbard are adequately play, paid and fairly paid, but I question how much you can pay without getting surplus value somewhere else. And and that's where they need to right either point. have a draft pick hit, whether yep. it's Miles Murphy taking a step. I think the ship has sailed on any of their interior defensive line. Zach Carter. Youth. Zach Carter's ship has sailed, do you think? Or you think? Uh, I mean, more more than sailed. It's sunk. I, I don't even know what exactly the etymology of ship has sailed is, but that ship is not floating uh, for, for Zach Carter, despite what the PFF grades would have you believe, in my opinion. Right. Uh, his best play of the year, the, the forced fumble. I don't even remember who it was against. Uh, he, he's. Yes. He, he's Vikings game, I believe. Is it okay? I, I can't I remember. Believe he's it been pancaked. Yes, and uh, he's getting up off the ground. A great play. You give him credit for it. He gets up, gets his hand in there, punches the ball out. But it's after he's been dominated at the point of attack on that play. And and there's just too much of that on tape for Zach Carter. You know, you you hope that there's something there. You always hope that there's something sure. there. But as we've always said, hope is not a plan. And when you have a demonstrated track record sure. of, of sure. what it is, they sorely need depth and top-end talent there to go with B.J. Hill, who, again, I think is fine at, you know, his roughly $10 million per year salary, maybe a little bit more, besides Sam Hubbard, also fine at that salary. But you need something better than fine to go with Trey Hendrickson. And you see that for all of these playoff teams where, you know, the 49ers have the trio of Eric Armstead, Bosa, and they go get Chase Young. And I know Chase Young didn't play at a super high level for them. Right. But they at least made an effort there. They have depth, Javon Kinlaw as well, on the defensive line for San Francisco, where they have multiple guys who can beat you, where the Bengals right now is just Trey Hendrickson and, and, and Pals. And I know BJ Hill occasionally will flash and occasionally will have pass rush wins, but you need a little bit more. You look at the Chiefs, same story. You have a world beater in Chris Jones, who is honestly just more valuable than Trey Hendrickson, I think, just because of the nature of the position he plays and, and where he shows up. Love Trey Hendrickson, think he's an awesome player, but Chris Jones, we're talking all pro. Trey Hendrickson, we're talking pro bowl. Uh, right or wrong, I think Trey Hendrickson probably deserved some all pro votes last year. Chris Jones, just a little bit of a better player. And then 
you know, George Karloftis had 15 sacks, including the postseason for the Chiefs, according to PFF charting, which doesn't do half sacks. So he's very productive, despite not necessarily being a top-end player, very productive. They get great performances from guys like Mike Pennell, and, and they have a brilliant defensive coach who's dialing up blitzes at the right times, and really good blitzing corners, really good blitzing linebackers, really good linebacker play. They're hitting on draft picks, and so you just need more of that top end in this Bengals defense. And I think the interior defensive line is a place where they need to get some of that. If Jerzon Newton of Illinois is there, do you take him? It's a little early in the process to make broad declarations like that. I would say Mike, but that's he's a guy that yep, he's go a ahead. guy that's worthy of that pick. And Byron Murphy might end up looking like he's worthy of that pick when everything's said and done as well. I think both of those guys are going to test really well both of those guys had incredible win rates incredible productivity in college newton played more of the role that he's going to play in the nfl and and it's not that murphy didn't he just texas uses their defensive line a little bit weird and despite having devondre sweat on the same the defensive line byron murphy had like over 100 nose tackle snaps which is a little bit weird for a guy who's going to play three tech in the nfl a little bit under 300 pounds for both of those guys but me personally, I'm very interested in adding a high-end athleticism, high-end pass rush productivity, pass rush win rate, interior defensive lineman. And those two guys seem to fit the bill. Newton, I think, a little bit more so based on my preliminary understanding of the class. But right. the Cincinnati Bengals, one, have passed up on drafting that archetype consistently since drafting Geno Atkins, which consistently boggles my mind. And two have not drafted a first-round defensive tackle since 19... James Dan Wilkinson, right? 94? Yeah. Wilkinson, yeah. Big Daddy, yeah. I believe, was the last yeah. uh, first-round defensive tackle they drafted. Um, okay, we got to move it along here. Um, first of all, uh, safety position. Yeah, This position has come under great scrutiny after the way the Bengals played after letting Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell go in free agency. And I think deservedly so. The Bengals' defense took a huge step back. Uh, the loss of those two guys and Dax Hill and Jordan Battle and Nick Scott adjusting to things had a domino effect on the linebacker play, I believe. And and certainly Lou Anarumo uh, hinted at that uh, in his season-ending wrap-up presser with us. And, you know, we saw Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson not play it anywhere close to their levels in 21 and 22. That's got to get back to where it was. Do you think that the Bengals go out and get themselves a free agent safety, either um, to fill Dax's spot or to fill the Nick Scott Jordan battle position? I think it seems a little crazy to play Dax Hill at safety for his entire first year starting and then be like, you know what? We're going to move him back to the slot. We're going to move him back to do more of what he did when he was an overhang defender, more of a slot defender at Michigan. They, they in the front office, obviously think Dax Hill can play safety. I think that he showed that he has the skill set to play safety. And it's just a mental thing for him. It's getting but, comfortable. You know, let me jump in here, Jake, because I think that is a big part of the position. You have to have that mental no, no aspect, doubt. and you don't have a year to mess around here. And if the Bengals say, you know what, we saw Dax at both positions in 22, his rookie year, and last year at the safety, he looks more natural um, as a hybrid type of cornerback. 
uh, defensive back. We'd rather have him play at a level where he can freelance a little bit more. He's not as focused and worried, concerned about being the leader back in the secondary. He can just worry about his own uh, lane, skate your own lane and do that. And we'll get somebody else. I, if the Bengals looked at it that way, I wouldn't kill him for it. I don't think they do. I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting Duke Tobin's no. comments, but Duke Tobin's saying that they need the coaching staff to figure out what they want Dax to do and have him specialize. They don't want him to be a jack of all, master of none. Right, but I think them. But I think I saw that as well. I think him saying that is well. You guys figure it out. If you think he can be in this particular role, then move him to that role and keep him there. That's the way I interpreted that. But I would be open to the idea of adding a safety that is part of three safety looks. And this is something that sure. Rumo likes to do on a limited basis every year. This year it was mostly Mike Hilton that was ending up as a safety as the year went on, as Nick Scott fell more and more out of, out of favor. I know Nick Scott continued to get some playing time down the stretch, but that Mike Hilton rotation to free safety to deep safety is something that seemed to interest the Bengals as the season went on. But you're right that the mental aspect of the game is, is massively important. The communication aspect of the game, massively important. For Dax Hill to remain at safety, both of those things were clearly issues at times. But he also showed, in my opinion, considerable top-end talent and considerable top-end ability. There's as no question safety, about that. In the pass game and in the run game. Like, coming off the roof in the run game, great. Showed elite range at times. Should have had more interceptions than he did, which is another topic and, and something that he needs to be better about. But put himself in a position sure. to have, what, four or five picks this year? And and you, you can't take that away from him either, but the mistakes do need to be eliminated. Some of that you can chalk up to first year playing the position, but it was the second year in the NFL. And you're right that they don't have time to really experiment with it. But Nick Scott level players aren't the answer either. So, you know, you're not talking about going out and getting a guy who's a fringe starter to bring in and, and kind of see, well, we have this contingency plan. If we need it, it would need to be something a little bit higher level and, that is an investment that I think I would question. They had the opportunity to keep Jesse Bates. They did not capitalize on that opportunity. They chose to spend that money in other ways. They could not come to an agreement with David Mulligetta. Jesse Bates promptly goes and plays at the all-pro level we all know he's capable of. To make that mistake and, and then have to go spend money on a safety, like starting money on a safety, I have a hard time imagining the Bengals doing that. And I do think that the Dax Hill-Jordan Battle combination has some potential and significant potential. Jordan Battle playing well down the stretch of the season as well. That's where I think finding the coverage specialist, which is not the, the mold of three, free safety that they've had lately, but finding the coverage specialist who the Geno Stone type or maybe Geno Stone himself right. is going to be a guy that as your third safety is going to be the third safety playing deep. And then Dax is going to go play his man coverage in the slot against tight ends, which is something he's really good at Very. or is going to play in the box, which he's also pretty good in the box, but you can also play him deep. So don't get me wrong. I think Dax Hill has not very good, but elite skill, uh, elite skill. He has great ball uh, awareness. He knows where the ball is at all times on the field. I think he can, uh, tackle well in space. I think he does a lot of things that you're looking for a defensive back to do. I just didn't think he was a natural fit where they plugged him in at safety. That That's my only point there. It's probably true, but it's also his first year playing that position full time. 
I don't know. It, it, it strikes me as difficult to make a big change there and then ask him to learn yet another new position in the NFL. That I know he's played before, but you're moving him in the NFL. Things are different in the NFL in many ways. And so I would be in favor of letting him settle into the role, but I could understand why there is some discomfort around that idea, given the way things went late in the season when like late in the season – should be trending the opposite direction. Like we shouldn't be seeing more of those mental mistakes, communication breakdowns late in the season. And unfortunately we did. All right. I'm going to give you three questions to answer within the next three minutes, four minutes. I'll okay. give you tight end running back T Higgins. What do the Bengals do with all three? The most likely outcome seems to be franchise tag T Higgins, find a new running back to pair with chase Brown and Probably bring back Drew Sample, Tanner Hudson, Mitch Wilcox, and also draft a tight end. That's much less than three minutes. I'm going to uh, much that. less. I'm I, I should have asked that uh, in about three or four minutes from now. No, uh, okay. Because you were so concise with T Higgins and Dan Picture is the new offensive coordinator. Obviously, what would a T Higgins Jamar Chase season look like if Burrow's healthy in? most likely T's final season in Cincinnati? Well, the big question is all of them staying healthy. If they all stay healthy, then you would expect Jamar and T to both be in the 1,200 plus range or yeah, 1,200 plus yard range. I think 10 plus touchdowns for each of them is, is a relatively fair, although top end projection, but both guys get theirs and I would still expect a heavier target share for Jamar Chase, they're using him much more underneath. Ideally, Jamar gets into the slot a little bit more next year. There's ideally, to me, even if they do keep T, even with Andre Yosevash showing some promise, even with the potential speedy uh, versatility of Charlie Jones, they still need somebody to, to take snaps, and, and ideally it's a versatile piece. And so I would still, in this draft, which is incredible at wide receiver, be looking for them to add a wide receiver as well that would be able to play inside, outside, give them the flexibility to line Jamar Chase up wherever they want to on any given play without giving something up. And I think they are giving something up when Tyler Boyd had to align in a wide position instead of in the slot. So that's what I would be thinking about for hmm. the receivers if T. Higgins does return for a year or more. Every Bengal fan that watches the Super Bowl and watched the Super Bowl this past Sunday they look at the running back and they look at the tight end position on both squads. They are, they have elite talent at both of those positions. I mean, maybe Isaiah Pacheco isn't considered, wasn't considered elite coming into the season, but the way he played um, throughout the regular season and certainly in the postseason gave the chiefs a different look. They were explosive with him on the field. He made big, big plays. Travis Kelsey speaks for himself. I don't even think Travis Kelsey is a tight end. I really do believe he's more of a wide receiver. We can have that debate off air. Um, but with the 49ers, you obviously have George Kittle, who didn't have a lot of touches in the Super Bowl. Obviously, he got hurt in overtime with the right shoulder injury. And you have Christian McCaffrey. Bengals, um, I don't think Bengal fans are asking to go out and immediately have all pro pro bowl talent level at those two positions, but they certainly need more out of those two positions, Jake. No doubt. They need to be more explosive in the running game. They need to be back to the level of efficiency they had in 2022 in the running game, but they need to add explosiveness to it. Chase Brown does give you 
that speed back and you probably need something to go along with that. And Joe Mixon's productivity when they did start using the the two-headed running back attack did improve significantly, but I still think that there's room to improve on your running back room. Joe Mixon, just from a financial situation, looks like the guy that they would try to improve upon. Chase Brown on a rookie deal. Travion Williams not showing you enough to get any carries in the regular season. Chris Evans can't get active. So they don't have the guy on the roster right now. I don't think Chase Brown is an every down back. I still think he's a change of pace back. So they, they do need to get somebody to upgrade that position, ideally. And, and I don't necessarily think it would be very hard to do. And considering that the money owed to Joe Mixon, I, I think I would just be looking to get better and find some surplus value there instead of paying for every yard that I'm getting. And I think that that's what they're doing with Joe Mixon. I, I think that they can improve and they can find some surplus value there. And a tight end, the Bengals have wanted to draft a tight end for a couple of years now. They haven't been able to. They haven't prioritized it the way the rest of the league has, whether it's Dalton Kincaid, who I think they were ready to pick, whether it's Sam Laporta, who I think they were honestly closer to picking in the first round than you might believe and and probably would have been ridiculed for it at the time. And then maybe Sam Laporta has the same year he had for the Lions and that ridicule goes away. But between those guys and, and some players that I, I know the Bengals liked in the 2023 draft, just didn't work out to pick one. And now it's at a point where it's very easy to say, let's really prioritize it. If a guy like Brock Bowers is available to you, you hope you've done your work in free agency to give you the flexibility to not feel like you have to pick a defensive tackle, have to pick a right tackle, and it lets you go truly BPA. And I think that also applies to corner. I don't think that's the conversation we're ready to have right now, but certainly it applies to Brock Bowers and maybe Jatavion Sanders in the second round, although it's seeming less likely to me that he makes it to the Bengals second round pick. There are some other guys in this draft, but it's certainly not as top end talented or as deep as the 2023 draft. All right. He is Jake Lisko. He does a tremendous job covering the Cincinnati Bengals on the locked on podcast. You can hear uh, along with James Rapine. Uh, be sure to follow him online at X. What's your handle on X again, Jake? Just at Jake Lisko, keeping it simple. That is the way we like it. Just like at Trags, where you can follow me for all CLNSCincy.com content. Uh, that would be T-R-A-G-S. Jake, I want to thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the, Lo- of the Locked On, of the Jungle Roar podcast powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. He is Jake Lisko. I'm Mike Petralia. Until next time. Keep that jungle roaring.